You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. You're listening to episode 364 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Matt Swanson leads teams and builds products for customers at SEP, a software product design and development agency based in Indianapolis. He's been using Ruby in some capacity since 2010. His favorite Ruby method is Array Compact. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, thanks. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so really excited to chat with you today. It's great to have you. So Matt, as you know then, what is your developer origin story? Yeah, so I went to school for engineering, but I actually uh, hated my first programming classes. It was really kind of an old school uh, program. So we were doing, and it, it sounds like I'm making this up, but we actually started with uh, Fortran, and this wasn't, you know, in the, you know, the 1970s or something. And uh, then we did a little bit of, of C, and I just didn't really uh, like that at all. Um, but eventually, uh, I had a class that was about learning the Unix shell and scripting languages, and that was in Python, and that was just way more uh, interesting to me, getting to actually uh, build little software programs that you could run on your computer instead of uh, you know writing some Fortran code. That I'm so jealous because when I took classes back then, it was Pascal and Visual Basic. So I'm incredibly jealous that you had a shell class. Yeah, it was really nice. And uh, so I've always had this kind of pattern of just trying out a variety of different things. I'm not very good at figuring out what I like, but I'm, I'm pretty good at figuring out what I don't like. So I tried a little bit of uh, everything when I was uh, in school. So I did an internship at a product company. I spent one summer doing research in a kind of a lab setting, still writing code, but but in a in a like a, a with some PhD students. And then I ended up working my last summer at a consulting company, and that's where I've uh, been working ever since uh, since graduating. Well, that's fantastic because it sounds like we were lucky enough to have you basically come into this community. So how did you get started working with Ruby and Ruby on Rails? Yeah, so consulting kind of continued that same uh, you know pattern of variety. Uh, so I've worked on all kinds of different projects. I've done some .NET stuff. I've worked with Java. I've done Node and React. I've built you know some native Android apps across a ton of different domains and different teams, different sizes, different processes. So I really have kind of sampled everything. And I stumbled across Ruby on Rails uh, back in, uh, I'd say the early 2010s. And it, this is the time when Rails was kind of the cool new thing. And uh, that's what all the, all the startups were using Rails. GitHub was just getting super popular. And I had been working for the past few years in uh, the .NET world. So the, the speed of development in Rails was you know, there's no compiling. They've got this really great ORM. Uh, that was what was uh, really appealing to me. So I, I tried out Rails for a few uh, little side projects I was working on, and uh, it was sort of, you know, love it at first deploy onto uh, Heroku, and it's been my uh, go-to framework uh, ever since for when I am in the position to, uh, you know, pick a tech stack to work with. Do you have an opinion about whether or not folks should try something before they get to Ruby, or do you think actually Ruby is a good language to start out with? I think Ruby is a really good uh, first programming language. 
Um, certainly there's other options and, and maybe these days JavaScript is the one that I think a lot of people get into. But the thing that is really great about Ruby is that uh, a lot of the times there's less of a barrier between translating a concept into code. So writing, you know, if statements and functions and things like that, there's not a lot of ceremony or uh, extra work that you have to have to do if you compare it to, you know, C or, you know, heaven forbid, you're you're trying to learn programming concepts in Fortran like I was. I totally agree with you. So Matt, what is Boring Rails? Yeah, Boring Rails is a blog that I started uh, I wanted to write more about the sort of boring practices that companies like Basecamp and Shopify and GitHub uh, that they use when they're building Rails applications. So the name is, you know, very tongue-in-cheek. Uh, at this point, Rails is, you know, stable, reliable. It's kind of, you know, frankly, a little bit more of a boring option compared to some of the other uh, tech stacks that you'll see online. But it's super productive and a great way to build a lot of software products. So I wanted a place where I could write about things I was learning and sort of write the kind of articles that I was hoping to uh, read when I was, uh, you know, going through the, the, the journey from, you know, beginner to intermediate to advanced uh, Rails developer. What I want to ask you about is why it is so important that the members in our community put out content that's not only read by our community members, but outside of our community members to prove that this community is so vibrant. And so why do you think it's so important that we continually put out content about Ruby? Yeah, I think writing content is just really valuable on its own. So even if we, you know, ignore the the community aspect for a second, like uh, there's a huge benefit, I think, to individuals to uh, writing down things that you're learning. I mean, it helps you solidify your own understanding. Uh, you know, they, they say that the best way to make sure that you learn something is to try to teach it to somebody. And, you know, writing a blog post is just a pretty low, uh, low barrier way of, of teaching somebody something. But I think also writing content uh, helps you meet new people, helps you find new opportunities. You've got sort of a demonstrable uh, piece of evidence about your skills or how you approach things. You don't really need anybody's permission. Nobody is going to, you know, give you permission to start a blog. You can just go start one. You can, uh, you know, make a Twitter account and start, uh, you know, chiming in on threads and conversations. You can, you know, go, go to the uh, Ruby Reddit and start asking questions and things like that. So it's really, uh, it's really easy to get started. And I think it, what writing content for, you know, Ruby and Rails specifically uh, does is that it leaves breadcrumbs for other people. So you, we can find solutions to similar problems. We can help each other learn how to use Rails. And the more people that are making that content, I think the better chances that you will find someone that either thinks about things in this in a similar way to you do, uh, has a similar problem that they're trying to solve, or is at like the same the same skill level. So if you've got more people writing, you're more likely to find somebody that has, you know, two years experience with Rails, twelve years experience with Rails, twenty years experience with Rails. It's amazing that there are people out there with twenty years of experience in Rails. <laughs> Well, maybe only David at this point is is reached 20, but uh, I think uh, we're getting close. We are getting close. Have you had that amazing experience of Googling for something and then getting your own article? Um, I don't know if I've come across that per se, but I do sometimes open, you know, articles that I've written in the past and, and look up, uh, you know, little code snippets that I had uh, had written. Well, let's offer the listeners and me, of course, some advice on posting content. What do you do after you post? 
Yeah, so I think people can sometimes get hung up on not having like a big audience to start with. And, you know, nobody wants to spend time writing something and then having, you know, nobody read it or you're, you know, send it to your friends and they're all like, cool, but, you know, nobody ever uh, outside of your own uh, immediate uh, friends, you know, is, is taking a look at it. That just doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like it's worth your time. Um, but one thing I'm not sure that everybody realizes is there's actually a huge demand for content in the community already. So if, if you think about something like Ruby Weekly, and Ruby Weekly is, you know, the weekly newsletter, it's been running for years, probably like 10 years at this point. Uh, so Ruby Weekly has around uh, 40,000 subscribers, and they have 45,000 Twitter followers. So this is, this is a huge audience. Um, but Ruby Weekly needs about 20 articles every week to fill their, their emails with. And so you can set up kind of a mutually beneficial situation here. So if you write a good article and you submit it to Ruby, Ruby Weekly, then they get the good content for their email, and you get to sort of piggyback on their audience, and, and everybody wins. That's so interesting. I didn't realize that you could actually submit to Ruby Weekly. How does that work? Yeah, so the the you know uh, the audience is probably asking, oh great, how do I submit things to Ruby Weekly? And well, you just have to sort of remember that you know Ruby Weekly isn't exactly some huge corporate publishing machine. It's it's really just a handful of people who are interested in in Ruby and programming. And uh, you know where do those people find the content? It's it's the same places that you know listeners of this podcast are finding content. So that's. Uh, on Reddit, on Twitter, on podcasts, on, you know, Dev2, on big, you know, Ruby on Rails Slack groups. So, you know, there's there's not really an official place to submit things to Ruby Weekly, uh, but those are the, the places where the editors of Ruby Weekly are looking for content. So the first thing you have to do after you write content is really you have to tell people about it. And you have to kind of get over any mental hurdles you have about not wanting to tell people because ultimately, like, you're helping people with your post. You know, someone is going to read this and and learn something. And you're also helping the community uh, keep all these existing channels kind of operating smoothly. Well, let's talk about iteration. So how do you know what type of content to make? And are you reviewing metrics to see what content has actually been popular in the past? Yeah, so I have uh, one mental model that I really like when it comes to making content, and that's the uh, barbell strategy. So if you imagine a barbell, uh, you've got you know heavyweights on, on both ends and kind of not much in the middle. So uh, what that means to me is sort of focus on the extremes. So I either want to write like the most comprehensive, long, high quality article about something that's on like one, one extreme, or I just want to kind of fire out uh, you know a tweet or something, maybe a couple sentences about a bunch of small things. So I can, I can give an example. Uh, so for like the long form articles, uh, something I wrote about last year was I wrote a big article on Boring Rails, and it was all about feature flags and why there's something that every project should have and how you implement them in Rails and what are the different options that you have for that. And it was a really long post, and I spent a bunch of time you know, editing and researching and you know, finding screenshots and code examples and all that. I think I probably spent like 20 hours total writing, writing this, this post. Um, but... Now it ranks really highly on Google as you know the top result for Rails feature flags. So that's kind of one extreme is you you write these really you know high quality standalone uh, articles. Um, but then also like last week I spent you know maybe an hour writing up a bunch of little tips that I was going to tweet about. 
these are just really small, usually just like one Rails method that I recently used or a new helper that I learned about. Um, and I don't, I don't really know which of these are going to resonate or be super helpful with people. So I don't really want to invest a ton of time in making some, you know, epic post that, that everyone's going to say like, yeah, cool, I, I already knew this. How's the feedback been from the community? Do you get um, do you get submissions back to you with like assistance on something that you might have been inquiring about during your articles, or do you ever get feedback in terms of like, hey, this is not how I would approach it. You should do it this way. Like, how has it been so far? Yeah, it's been it's been really good. I think I get a lot of comments from people uh, just you know chiming in saying like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I you know have I've been doing Rails for you know, five years and I didn't know this was a feature. And, uh, you know, I, I have the same realization that these people do, just I decided to, you know, write about it. Like, obviously, I don't know everything about Rails. And so when I'm learning something new, then, uh, you know, if I share it, then obviously other people are going to be in the same boat. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been great, especially on Twitter. People will, uh, you know, reply and say, oh, cool, here's something else that's related to that. Or like you said, yeah, here, here's how I would do it. Uh, you know, here's a little snippet to to how I might uh, solve this problem. But it's been it's been really great so far. And I think the Rails and the Ruby community are, you know, very friendly in general. And that that kind of helps me, too. It sort of encourages me to you know keep writing when when you get uh, good feedback. One thing that I've heard from listeners is that they have a lot of fear over the idea of putting out content that might have been put out prior by another developer. And so I guess I want to ask, Matt, has this ever happened to you where someone has actually accused you of uh, like covering a topic that's already out there? Or in your experience, is it just always important just to be putting out there because you have your own perspective? Yeah, I know that this is a fairly common uh, fear. It's never happened to me, I guess, I do, and I don't really know of anybody, you know, anecdotally that, that I've talked to that has actually had this happen where someone has said, you know, like, oh, you know, this post already exists. And I think you're you're right that each person has their own spin on it and each person is going to explain things in a slightly different way. And that's kind of the great thing about, about the internet and having, you know, multiple sources that are maybe saying you know, essentially the same thing, but with the slightly uh, different angle is that someone can find one that really resonates with them. And so maybe, maybe, you know, two people write a very similar post, but one has got code samples versus the other one has got, you know, uh, a lot of images or something, or someone does a video and someone else does a podcast about the same topic. And you can sort of pick and choose which, which format you like best or the, the learning style that, you know, best matches with you. So I don't, I don't think this is really uh, an issue. And I know it's, it's kind of scary. Even if you were to write a similar post, that's, you know, the exact same content. Uh, Rails has been around for so long that maybe you're just updating an article that already existed uh, and has, you know, become out of date because things about the framework have changed or there's new tools that were released since the original post. I am nodding my head so hard right now. I couldn't agree with you more. And I really want people to get past that fear because it's more important that we get content out there no one is sitting there perusing the internet and trying to match articles to one another. So I think what you're doing is great. You had a really great idea, and that was reaching out to your Twitter followers to see if they had any questions for you while you're on this show. So I'd like to highlight a couple questions that we saw come through. So we had a question from Jose Farias. How do you balance the research needed to write novel, accredited content with maintaining a regular posting cadence? 
yeah, so I you know reached out to people on Twitter and asked uh, if they had any questions, and I thought this was a really good one. Uh, my sort of dirty secret is that almost all of my content is uh, an extraction, not really an invention. And this is the same concept that you know DH- DHH has mentioned before about Rails, where it's easier to pull out you know uh, lessons and, and and Rails. It's easier to pull out code from the framework. Uh, that that comes from a production application than it is to sort of stare at a, a blank page and sort of be inspired and know and create the perfect API or the perfect blog post in this case. So for me, I don't really block out dedicated time to do research or any of that. It's more about thinking back to what I did, you know, in the past week or the past month and sort of trying to extract some key piece of knowledge or maybe generalizing something that I did a little bit. Uh, yeah, as far as a regular posting cadence, you know, consistency is is a really hard thing for me uh, personally. So, two pieces of advice that I, I can give on that topic is uh, number one, like don't worry if you uh, miss a week or have long gaps in posting. Like, just kind of give yourself permission to to skip, uh, you know, a post if you're if you're not not feeling it. Uh, I don't think any, well, maybe there's a few, but uh, most of us are not, you know, full-time columnists for, you know, a publication here. Uh, so, like, one thing uh, one thing I never do is I never start an open-ended blog series. So, uh, you'll have probably read these before, but you'll see someone that writes a post and it starts like, this is the first of my five-part series about active record. And I really uh, don't like doing this because uh, if I stall out, then I feel really bad about like not finishing if I only write, you know, two of the five posts. Uh, but if you had just written the first article and then later, if you end up writing the second and third and fourth and fifth, you can always go back and, and uh, you know, link up those old articles without sort of committing to, uh, you know, a five part series and then feeling bad if you don't finish it. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout APM is application performance monitoring designed to help Rails developers quickly find and fix performance issues without having to deal with the headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With the developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, Scout helps you quickly pinpoint and resolve performance concerns like N plus one queries, slow database queries, and memory bloat so you can spend less time debugging and more time building a great product. And with Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails, you can rest easier knowing that Scout's on watch to help you resolve performance issues before your customers ever see them. Give Scout a try today with a free 14-day trial and experience firsthand why Rails developers worldwide call Scout their best friend. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash Ruby on Rails. Thank you to Scout APM for supporting the show. Have you ever had that happen before where you've started a series and then decided to put it down and then maybe along later you decide to pick it up again? Um, Yeah, I mean, that happens. And uh, you just sort of have to, at least for me, like I, I try to balance it out based on what topics I'm excited to write about. So I might even start an article and not not get it not get finished with it and sort of put it on pause and then uh come back to it later or maybe i never end up finishing it or maybe it turns into something else so we had another question from one of your followers richard any topics that you thought would make great content but had to be abandoned and why yeah so like i said um sometimes i kind of just lose excitement about a topic and you know 
technology moves fast. So sometimes things just sort of become outdated. Um, one thing I try to do is sort of de-risk, uh, you know, an idea if I'm going to write a long post about it. So I might tweet about it or I might tweet a little screenshot of some code I'm fiddling around with. And then I can see if people are interested in it, you know, if people are liking it or they're replying like, oh, cool, you know, how does how does that work? Um, and I can use that to see if I should sort of keep going and write a full post or maybe I'll find that, you know, uh, no one no one really cares about it and it's not that interesting to anybody except for me. And, you know, then I can at least save myself from investing uh, a ton of time into writing something that, that won't work. Um, you know, as far as just specific examples, I... I've started a couple posts in the past. Uh, one of them was about, you know, um, using Tailwind with the Rails form builders, and uh, I was really excited about that. And then actually, in the newer release of Tailwind, they sort of changed a bunch of stuff about how uh, the the plugin for forms worked. So it just kind of kind of lost the lost the thread there on uh, you know the solution I was so excited to share about because uh, you know it changed and and so I would I, I don't want to publish something that is not you know uh, representative of how I would actually do something another question from another listener uh, this time is Peter Rizika how do you balance learning new stuff trying new approaches researching tools and then writing the code yeah, I just try to really be mindful of things that I come across during my day-to-day -day work. Uh, once you start writing content and if you start thinking about things through this lens of kind of extracting content from what you're already doing, I think it can become easier. Uh, one thing that really has helped me lately is that my team is working with an apprentice. So I have to put myself in the, you know, the beginner's mind a lot and do a, uh, more explaining about, you know, Rails magic and some of the conventions than I normally would. And that really forces me to take some extra time to maybe look things up in the Rails docs if we're pairing, even, uh, you know, not for my own sake, but but for, uh, you know, a more junior person that I'm pairing with just to show them like how how do you, how do you navigate the document, uh, the documentation? How do you find things? And, you know, I might see a new method or a new option that's been added since the last time that I, you know, use this feature. And that's a great source of, of uh, finding topics to write about without necessarily blocking off uh, a huge amount of, uh, you know, time to do research. The other thing uh, is that I listen to pretty much all of the Rails and, you know, Rails adjacent uh, product podcasts, including, uh, you know, the Ruby on Rails show here. And uh, so that's a great, a great way for me to get exposure to new ideas. And then I can, uh, you know, research further either for a post or for something that uh, I want to incorporate into my day job. So key question here, Matt, what do you are, what are you typically doing when you're listening to podcasts? Because I know some developers can code to a podcast. I mean, while others need to have me in complete silence or they need to be driving. So I'm curious, how, how do you consume podcasts? Yeah, I'm definitely not someone that can listen to a, to a podcast while working. Uh, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, pre-COVID, I would, I would listen uh, on my commute. But since uh, I've been working remote for uh, more, more or less the past year, I uh, listen to podcasts usually when I uh, go for a walk. So I try to, I try to take a break at lunchtime to, uh, you know, go outside weather permitting. And that's, that's when I listen to uh, podcasts. Yeah, if I get in the car, I listen to podcasts. I did attempt to do a couple weeks of running to podcasts. Now, I will tell you, I was very entertained, but it actually caused me to run slower. So <laughs> I had to switch back to music. <laughs> 
Um, so as we ask all of our guests, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? Yeah, I think the Rails community is in uh, an interesting spot. So if you were around kind of in the heyday of Rails, you know that there was a ton of excitement. There was lots of people making content. And there's kind of like a whole group of, you know, Ruby and Rails celebrities that were sort of like making courses and videos and doing conference talks. And, and many of those people are still around today. Uh, but there's definitely been sort of a lull as, as Rails uh, became more established and, you know, people that were, you know, central figures in the community sort of drifted off into to other languages and things like that. But I think in the past year or two, there's, there's kind of been a, a bit of a revival. And I personally am really looking forward to uh, Rails 7 that I think should be coming out here uh, ahead of RailsConf and uh, more uh, info about Hotwire from Basecamp. There's just kind of a, a big amount of new battle-tested, super practical stuff that's being added to Rails. And I'm excited to see uh, new people sort of making content about all of all those new features that are coming in into Rails 7. I'm just really interested also to see what Rails can incorporate from other communities. So I follow a lot of people in the Laravel world, which is a PHP framework that's really similar to Rails, uh, people in, in the Tailwind world, people doing Elixir. Uh, and it's always cool to see what those communities are up to and then see what things we can we can bring back to Rails and kind of put a, a Rails uh, spin on. You are the third person to mention Laravel recently as to all the cool things that they are doing, which I think is so great because I think we tend to stay within our community. And I think it's really it's really smart that you are looking outside of the community as well. So, Matt, how can listeners follow you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Swanson. And I post tips about Ruby, Rails, Hotwire, Stimulus, uh, building software products. And yeah, I'd love to hear from any of the listeners if you uh, want to say hi or uh, tell me something that I uh, should write about next. That would be great. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, Matt. And we appreciate all the contributions you've made to the community. Yeah, thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.